Hello and thank you for listening to this Youth Mental Health Podcast with the Northern Trust. My name's James Nelson, I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Dr Deirdre Meehan. Deirdre, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello James, I'm Deirdre Meehan, child and adolescent psychotherapist in Northern Trust and I also work in Beechcroft Adolescent Inpatient Unit. Thanks for joining us today, Deirdre, and I know you and I have worked together for quite a number of years, and it's it's always interesting to sit down and reflect with you, so thanks for joining us for this podcast today, which we've entitled, Is It Just Bad Behaviour? And I reckon any parent or carer listening to this podcast, or anyone who's maybe been within half a mile of a child at any point in their life, can probably relate to that question, Deirdre. So maybe if we just kick off by by tackling that um when it's all going a bit pear-shaped uh, and others are looking across the supermarket and, you know, the child's having a meltdown, is it just bad behaviour? Yeah, I suppose, James, I don't really believe there is any such thing as bad behaviour in a sense. And I know that might, might sound a bit bizarre, but, you know, I think of behaviour as reflecting something that the child or young person or even adult is grappling with some kind of inner struggle something that they can't either think about or put into words that's really difficult for them now for whatever reason that is it could be something they're grappling with developmentally or it could be some worry or fear or something has happened that it's just very difficult for them to think about. So they communicate it in all sorts of ways that are troublesome, problematic for them and those around them, particularly their carers, you know, whether that be carers in a children's home or, or parents or foster carers or adoptive parents, you know, whatever the child is struggling or grappling with will will be communicated if it can't be put into words if the child can't sit down and say look i'm worried about you know whatever's happening in school i'm you know i'm frightened of whatever it happens to be they can't put it into or i'm annoyed with you the parent or the sibling or you know that they feel kind of consumed with whatever it is that's going on they can't put it into words so they act it out maybe they get aggressive with their siblings or their parents when actually they feel distressed or they feel frightened so i think it's behavior is always for me a communication of something that cannot be put into words i think that's really the case so so no i don't think there is such a thing as bad behavior yes so if we're looking at something and saying oh, that's a child just being bad. I, I think you're pointing out we're really missing something, that there's something going on for that child that they're communicating, that they're telling us. And and maybe we'd even broaden that out a bit, Deirdre, and say that there's meaning in all behaviour. I think so. I, and I think the reason that, that we miss, you know, what it is and, and think, oh, that's just bad behaviour, it's because of how it makes us feel. So if you're in a supermarket or a parent is trying to manage the, the days, routines and get on with life and the child is being difficult, you know, that that affects, you know, the difficult behavior affects those around them. So it's it's normal or natural that we might think, oh, it's just bad behavior because we feel frustrated, we feel powerless, we feel helpless, we feel stirred up by that inverted commas bad behavior difficult behavior as i like to call it you know because it's troublesome behavior because the child feels troubled in the moment that the behavior you know is is acted out in that way 
and I'm trying to think what sort of issues might be um, overwhelming a child or really troubling a child or young person that could make their behaviour difficult and and does that change depending on what age of a child we're talking about it probably does well if you're thinking developmentally you know there there you know if you think about every stage of development it's really really difficult to grow up because you there is so many issues and conflicts and you know stages of that have to be mastered that have to be contended with you know, there's separation anxiety when, when the, the, the baby is very young, you know, the, the infant. There's separation anxiety about, you know, leaving parents, growing up, becoming stronger, becoming bigger, becoming more autonomous, having to make decisions, you know, choices. There's so much to contend with that, that causes in itself problems inside with conflict with tussle if you think about the two you know the terrible twos for example you know people think oh it's the terrible twos it's a, it's an you know and trying to reason with the child trying to talk to the child about what's going on is impossible because the child hasn't got the ability you know to to be able to reason you know and the reason why there is such inverted commas bad behavior in a two-year-old is because they feel so helpless but yet they've got all this mobility you know this sense of powerlessness all these big people around them you know they they there's so many things to choose they can't organize their thinking they can't organize their feelings they get overwhelmed and they feel very powerless and helpless and anyone around a two-year-old can feel very powerless and helpless and therein lies the key that that if a parent or carer is able to tune in you know really realize how powerless and helpless they feel in one way obviously you're a carer you you can manage up to a point with the two-year-old but that sense of powerlessness and helplessness with the two-year-old is what they're experiencing so if you can kind of realize you know the powerlessness and helplessness you feel is exactly what they feel because they're grappling with that kind of stage that they're moving into where you know they you can reason with them more where they can are more ready for nursery or or school you know that that you know it's a very difficult so that's one example of developmental processes that maybe can go wrong where the parent just does feel overwhelmed maybe there's things going on in the parent's life that they're struggling with and they're filled up with and the frustration is just too much and they start reacting to the child and you know a two-year-old if you react to a two-year-old will become more frightened because they don't know what they're doing they're they're simply acting behaviorally out what's inside is turmoil there's a lot in there Deirdre just um, taking that example of the two-year-old and if they're having what some people might call a tantrum and they're going ballistic you're I think you're pointing out perhaps underneath that they're frightened they're feeling overwhelmed and then if yeah. a parent maybe understandably he's feeling stressed out and they react and, and maybe even there's a bit of losing temper going on. I think you're saying in a sense that could make things worse, that could um, pressure the child more. It's all very difficult, isn't it? It's extremely difficult, of course. It's very understandable. You know, you're tearing your hair out, you're trying to get your shopping done, you know, you're trying to get through the day, you're maybe at work. There's so many stresses and strains, you know, in modern day life. And and yes, it does make it worse. But I think the really, really important thing to remember here is that parents, all parents, really try their best to do what they can in the best in the best way. And so 
when they do, you know, lose their temper or react to their child, it's out of frustration, it's out of helplessness. And I think, you know, what can happen is then that can, if that gets set in motion, difficult dynamic where they're at, at loggerheads with each other and that develops then into more complex problems, what can happen is that the parent can feel really guilty. Oh, you know, how did I, how did I, what did I do wrong? Or how did I get that wrong? And of course you're going to get it wrong. You know, these things are very, very complex. So I suppose if we think about, you know, the, the parents that we see in CAMS or whatever, you know, and they're, they're kind of, you know, thinking, well, well, what's, what's happened to my child? Why is my child struggling or suffering in this way? Well, without anybody realizing it, some sorts of dynamics have got set in motion you know, whereby parents don't know what's wrong with the young person. The young person might feel isolated, alone, unable to manage, but thinks think that they have to manage on their own. And this dynamic gets set in place so that the parents and the child, the young person, are finding themselves really struggling. And then when you begin to work with them, they, you know, they feel guilty because when looking back, when we can piece together what's happened, and you're working with trying to help them realize that actually they have nothing to feel guilty about because parents actually do their best. What happens is out of their awareness. So these things get set in motion without anybody realizing it. And I suppose it's about tackling that and being able to, to put guilt, unhealthy guilt, as I call it, outside the door and look at, OK, what's happened? What got set in motion? you know, in the interactions between parents and children that have become problematic without anybody to blame, without anybody realizing it. And, and how, do, how do we resolve that? And I think that's, you know, that's a whole other area. How do you resolve that? It's very important to think about. Yeah. Just to wind back a moment, Deirdre, because there's so much there in what you were saying. You mentioned earlier that even growing up itself is really difficult for a child so and that there's maybe something quite almost reassuring for any parent to hear so if I got you right Deirdre I think you're saying even in the perfect scenario a perfect yes. household there is no perfect household but even in the perfect family the process of growing up the the bumps along the way the developmental stages of getting some independence and so on those in themselves are really pretty stressful for any person growing up is have I got you right Deirdre absolutely I mean I think you know the the task of the child is to be able to grow up into being an autonomous adult you know well-rounded well you know good well-being all all of that but there are so many obstacles and so many complex developmental processes along the way that need to be contended with, you know, that need to be mastered. And, and it's very difficult for parents because, you know, things change as development unfolds in the sense of what the child has to grapple with and what the parent needs to understand what the child is grappling with, like the two-year-old. And, and what the two-year-old is trying to do is separate and become an individual. You know, I'm, I'm not you is the mantra of, of the, the two-year-old. I'm not you. Everything, you know, I'm going to say no to everything, even things that I like, um, because I'm, I'm trying to be different from my parents. I'm, I'm trying to carve out. Now, it's not a conscious process. You know, the child is 
grappling with this kind of you know in, in an ordinary way they're they're grappling with who am I you know so they're you know and it can be very confusing for parents when a child is saying no to everything but that you know and they think but but you like porridge why are you saying no to porridge but you like jelly beans why are you saying no because that kind of they get so overwhelmed with so many choices that that they can't manage to make at that stage so you know in terms of of helping with that obviously distraction is the best you know not giving them choices certainly not reasoning with them you know trying to 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 say you know come on jimmy you know you can't have you know whatever it is you can't have because then you've lost them once you start explaining anything it's really just having you know a reasonable sense of humor being able to tolerate your own frustration and your own sense of powerlessness and you know using lots of diversionary techniques until you can get them to when they're three and you can reason with them you know you know you can have that treat after you eat your dinner kind of kind of thing you know then they then they understand that they can delay gratification a little bit but at two two they can't and and if we think about adolescence as being the next really turbulent stage and phase you know that's a revival of the two-year-old yeah i i'm I, i'm keen that we get on to the, the topic of parental guilt because you touched on that but we can't go on from this developmental stage without something more about adolescence Deirdre, because i know you and i have had lots of conversations about this um on different occasions and um adolescence and teenage years are obviously a a, a big part of growing up and I, I i really remember a quote you you've said to me a few times and, and if i'm getting it correctly trying to sum up the teenage or the adolescent dilemma to their parents i hate you please don't leave me yes and i i that sort of push and pull at the same time do you want to say a little bit more about that because i think there's 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 a lot a lot in there to think about yeah i mean adolescence it's so difficult isn't it you know and i think it's it's certainly a revival of the terrible twos in in terms of the developmental task uh, that the, the young person has to grapple with which is very much about separation identity who am i you know where have i come from you know where where am i going you know how do i manage you know peers become extremely important family gets quotes rejected and hated you know the, the the young person opposes what the parents rules are and all of that and that can be so frustrating because especially when the child is coming from middle years you know and the developmental stages are about developing you know your cognitions and your concentration and rules and regulations Ch- children can be quite conforming at that stage and quite pleasant and and then you're then suddenly the explosion of adolescence happens and your child seemingly overnight becomes oppositional and defiant and unreasonable and aggressive and you know gives the verbals and and obviously can be much more you know complex than the two-year-old because they've got the verbals and they can argue and sometimes the things that they say make sense and you're kind of on the back foot and it's a very very difficult time and it's you can see how easy it is just to react and to be you know i you're, you know i'll teach you young man or i'll teach you you know young girl you're not going to cheek back cheek me and you can see where you can get into this reactive cycle but again if parents can think you know the, if they can think about the developmental task that the, that the young person is trying to grapple with and it is it's not just about achieving it's grappling 
it's a struggle, it's a turbulence, it's a turmoil inside, you know, around who they are and who they are in relation to their family. And it is about separating, you know, the need to separate. And and that need to separate involves opposition and defiance, not just for the sake of bad behaviour. It's not about that. It's a, it's a really complex task for them. And I, th- I think you're saying in the midst of that grappling and struggling for the teenager, while they're maybe making their parent or carer feel terrible at times, yes. they themselves are struggling and that, you know, as they're adjusting to this and that mightn't be totally obvious, but it might in some way reassure a parent to remember that. I think I think it very much is and, and I think that this is the key, you know, what the parent is experiencing and again, usually the frustration and the loss of the, the, the boy and the girl beforehand who'd been pleasant and conforming and you had family outings and now suddenly they don't want your company. I mean, that's pretty tough, you know, that the, they don't want to, you know, you're an embarrassment to them suddenly and they start opposing the things that they liked before. And I suppose if parents realize that this is all to do with the young person's developmental struggle, and, and that's that's an ordinary development. If, if you add in something's happened to the young person, or there's been trauma in the family, or there's difficult, you know, that difficult issues that have that have arisen through nobody's fault, that actually then you're you're compounding the turbulence. The turbulence just feels so extreme for a young person in, in that situation. So in ordinary adolescence, it's difficult. And I think it's very important that parents can allow their child actually to oppose and defy and be, you know, be oppositional and be difficult. Because if they try to control them, you know, it's, it's setting more problems, you know, for, for the future because the young person has to grapple with that conflict in order to be able to become themselves and separate and they'll come back if you let them go they'll come back that was that was what i wanted to get to as well because if a parent's listening to this and thinking oh my goodness this is a horror my child is Mm. separating out doesn't want anything to do with me and that's it that would be very distressing but but do you want do you want to say anything more about that do you know what um it'll emerge into something different as they as they become a a young adult Did you, there's a bit of hope in there Deirdre oh there's a lot of hope I mean if you can weather it and I <laughs> and I say with great difficulty if you can weather the turbulence of adolescence let them reject you in commas. and remember the rejection is not a rejection of your love and that I hate you please don't leave me is not hatred in that sense it's all in the service of development they're trying to find out who they are and, and, you know, particularly in a close family as well, you know, it's it's very difficult because the, the young person is trying to get away from the comfort and the closeness because that the danger is that that could be ultimately restricting and engulfing, you know, but, but very much wanted in another sense. So that's why there's that tussle, you know, because you want to just, it's the same with the infant, the infant wants to, to stay in the loving arms of mother, but they're having to then contend over time, slowly but surely, with the outside world, with going to school, with you know be, being involved with peers and turn taking and all that goes with school. Adolescence is the same, you know. The identity and who I who I am is extremely important. 
you'd mentioned a, a few moments ago, Deirdre, about uh, times things can be difficult in families. So we've, we've talked about the normal pathway, which has got huge challenges in it. But then quite often there's other complexities. Maybe something yes. difficult has happened. Maybe there's a loss of some sort. Maybe something hasn't gone the way everyone would have wanted it to. And that makes it more complicated. And you mentioned the big topic, really, of parental guilt. Mm. Do you want to unpack that a little bit more, Deirdre? Whatever has happened in a family, whatever complexities, whatever problems, whatever difficulties, they haven't been intentional in my experience with working with so many families over the years. People don't mean to cause difficulty to their children. They don't mean to hurt or harm or, or cause turbulence to their children. You know, th things happen, divorce happens, separations happen, loss happens, you know, maybe depression happens, mental health problems in, in parents. These things happen. The parents are not guilty for. They don't mean them to happen. They don't deliberately set out to for, for bad things or difficult things to happen. So I think one of the things that I find in the work is that guilt can be you know quite disabling you know that it's very hard because parents are afraid of feeling judged they're afraid of you know feeling guilty of being exposed in some way and i think in my experience that that's the work at the beginning of work when parents present to mental health services is is working with their guilt you know the sense of you know that what why you know and i often say to parents parents say oh i feel terrible i should have known you know that's always a, the the kind of phrase that 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 they come out with they i should have known and when i ask them you know well how should you have known like say a, a, a parent was depressed or there's been a loss or there's been a separation or something has happened that's been really difficult that the parent has been filled up with naturally when you know difficult things happen there's very little space in your mind to be thinking of other things because you're you know you're frightened worried anxious upset distressed yourself and you're trying to manage that and so i you know when i say well well how could you know how should you have known and of course they can't come up with anything because they didn't know what they didn't know you know that that they they couldn't know and shouldn't know I think that's very helpful pointing out that people don't intend for these things to happen. And and as you say, yes. then, well, why would they feel guilty about it? And I think when we chatted about this previously, Deirdre, you'd, you'd pointed out even that holding on to that guilt and worrying about it can in itself get in the way. And, and really a very constructive thing a parent can do is... Um, maybe easier said than done, but put that to one side. Do you do you want to say a bit more about that? Well, I I think it's it's very difficult to put it to one side because then it you know it it comes back in a haunting kind of lingering way. I think what 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 I try to do is get get the parent to think about the times when they think they should have known something, and to look back and on reflection and hindsight is a wonderful thing. You know, at the time, there, you know, when there was loss and the parent was consumed maybe with their own anxieties or their own worries or whatever, and didn't really realize their child was suffering too, right? That it's, it's very difficult then for them to look back on that and think, well, I should have known, is, is to convert that, that, that guilt into a kind of sorrow 
for their child, which is more reparative, you know, that sense of mourning. Gosh, I didn't know my child was suffering. I, I didn't see it because I was so upset myself. And when, it, when a parent gets to the sorrow rather than the guilt, you know, feeling sorrow that they didn't notice, that, that they were upset themselves, that their child struggled for maybe a number of years. And it's a very moving situation when you get parents in the room with their child and you begin to talk about those things where the child says, but you didn't notice. And the, the mother or the father becomes sad about that rather than guilty. And and that's a healing recovery. It's it's about reparation. And especially the earlier you can get that kind of process of mourning in place, you know, when, when parents do come and they're struggling and they don't know why they're struggling and they think, you know, their child is you know, just acting in, in this bad way and they, you know, they want support to try and control the child or try and change their behaviour. It shifts the whole emphasis to thinking about what is it that they don't realise has got set in motion between them, some sort of interaction that, they, that they're stuck in, that, that needs thought about in terms of what has gone wrong that nobody realised unintentionally what has gone wrong that can now be thought about and now be repaired. And I think that's through sorrow and mourning about what it is that you didn't see in the first place rather than guilt, I should have known. It's like a big stick to beat yourself with, which never works. And you can't, it's very, it's impossible, I think, to set that aside without working through what's underneath that, which is sorrow. We've talked about a lot there, Deirdre, already, uh, and some of it quite uh, challenging. Um, I'm wondering, in terms of trying to summarise this into almost practical things that someone can maybe take away from this, and um, I know you and I joke about this a little bit, that I like practical things and you like to make sure that everyone's thinking about feelings, so uh, bear with me as I, as I try to get some action points out of this. Uh, I think we've already talked about guilt, parental guilt, uh, the importance of thinking about that, the importance of not just trying to set it aside and hope it goes away, but actually even almost mourning through that, um, being a very constructive uh, and healing experience. I wonder some of the things we t- touched on earlier, Deirdre, about how a child's feeling, about the distress they're feeling, about how they're communicating all of that. Can we distill down anything practical in there, maybe even about being observant, maybe even reflecting back to a child how they're feeling. How can we can we boil any of that down into some general takeaway practical things? Yeah, I mean I think it is really important, James, even though you and I joke about it, that that you do, you know, that parents can have something almost concrete to, to think about, well, this is an approach I could take here. And I suppose it's it's trying to help parents think about what is it first of all the behavior isn't just bad that there's something being communicated even if they pause and you know obviously when you're in the line of fire I mean afterwards and reflect on it what just happened there you know because it's very you know it's very difficult when you're in the line of fire and you're back against the wall is is not to react but you know so afterwards and then thinking how that after reflection might help the next time is to think well it's it 
it's not just bad behavior. They're not just doing this to be difficult or attention seeking or, you know, to, to, to just be oppositional for the sake of it um, and to, to wind me up and be manipulative, all the kind of things that, you know, parents or carers or whatever we might think at times that it, it has meaning. This behavior is an attempt not a conscious attempt, not like the child or the young person is saying, right, I want you to know that I'm distressed and upset, but I'm being angry. So you have to decipher what it is. It's not, it doesn't happen in their minds like that. If you think they can't perhaps talk to you about being distressed about whatever it is, because they don't know perhaps what it is that they are distressed about. Secondly, they might be distressed about something that they're embarrassed about. You know, shame and humiliation, especially in the adolescent, is so prominent because they're they're at odds with themselves and because they're grappling with who am I and they're tussling with all of that. They're so easily embarrassed. They're so easily shamed and they feel humiliated about feeling so powerless and helpless because they're kind of. You know they're they're growing up and they're you know able to be they're able to be autonomous they're maybe doing things away from home and all the rest of it so they're growing up on the one hand but again that i hate you please don't leave me but they're also feeling very small and very young they're not quite joined up yet so they can't often put into words what it is that they're upset or distressed about so they might get angry instead so if the parent, which is really the clue really is in if the parent can tune into how they feel. So in that moment, in the reaction or the interaction with the young person, a troubled interaction or difficult interaction, if the parent can tune into how they feel. So if it is that they feel angry, if they feel reactive, if they feel upset, if they feel powerless or helpless, that will be the clue if they can trust that as to what's going on in the young person. Now, it's not a good idea in the throes of the young person being upset or for anybody to to stand, well, you're not really, you're not really angry, you're upset, you know, because that's going to make them more angry. You know, it's like when anybody is annoyed about something, you don't want somebody trying to rationalize. You just want someone to listen while you give off about something. And then, you know, when you're calmer later on, then you can talk about it. So if, you know, the parent can just hold on to what it is that they're feeling, then when everything calms down and not react, then be able to reflect and say to the start to talk to the young person, you know, I wonder if you're upset about something. I know you were really angry earlier and maybe they're angry about something. Maybe they are angry about something, but they might be upset. The clue is in how you, the parent, feels in that moment. Do you also feel powerless and, and you know, helpless? Can you then put that into words or help the young person put into words what's happening for them? So it's about opening up that conversation through tuning into your own feelings, which is the clue as to what the young person's feeling. There's a whole load of practical things in there, Deirdre. I, I, I you think. must be pleased um, about that. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted. This is brilliant. <laughs> uh, uh, ticking all the boxes for me. So <laughs> even that question of what just happened there, you know, to yeah. sort of reflect back and what was that about? I like the reminder that maybe the young person themselves doesn't even know. So if if if, if they're going all over the place um, and the parent's going, tell me what's bothering you, it's quite possible yeah. the young person might just struggle to even know themselves. That That's helpful to remember. We talk, You mentioned there about shame and the importance and sensitivity around that and particularly that last bit about the feelings or the clue. So a parent asking themselves, how am I feeling? 
and then maybe that gives a clue to to how their young person is and i suppose deirdre that last one it's probably quite important to hold that somewhat tentatively rather than say well i know you must be exactly rather yeah. couch it a bit like well i'm just yeah. wondering are you maybe feeling a bit is that right deirdre maybe is a great phrase you know i'm wondering if because i like to wonder a lot and i like to to talk about well maybe it is so you're giving them a bit of a choice or a menu rather than imposing something and I think the important thing is, is in your own mind as a parent or a carer is to be able to wonder, gosh, what just happened there? Is there something wrong? Not to know it, you know, you might not know, but it's about tolerating, you know, the not knowing, tolerating the feelings and, and being open and exploring and wondering. And, and, you know, so the young person does, and that's very containing. I mean, it's very important to remember that if the young person feels that you are grappling yourself with what's going on with them that is incredibly containing because even if you don't know and the young person doesn't know and often that is the case you might not know because the mind is very complex there are parts in us all that we don't know why we're feeling a certain way you know so that's really important to hold on to that so the the reaction of a parent mulling it over and trying to understand Yes. Even if they don't get it all and even if it's not all going great, that in itself is a very powerful thing, I think you're saying. I think it's an incredibly powerful thing. I mean, I work a lot with parents and, and young people and I find that, you know, the young people might be resistant at first to me talking with the parents because they think we're going to, you know, have a negative conversation about their inverted commas bad behaviour, which is couldn't be further from the truth. And that when we do you know, over time, I'm, I'm talking with the parents in the same way, helping them tune in, helping them tolerate their own feelings, helping them wonder, helping them have maybes, helping them have that kind of conversation with their young person. That the young person will often say, gosh, mum's changed her approach or dad's a bit more kind of understanding. You know, he, he sits with me now and he doesn't sort of tell me what to do or give me advice or you know tr try to or react you know he kind of sits there and he seems to he seems to just sit with me when i'm when i'm struggling with something that's incredibly powerful for the young person because what the young person needs is someone to kind of understand you know just by by the willingness of the parent to sit with those feelings and and not have to know or find out you know this was one of the one of the normal things that parents will do is look if you tell me what's wrong i can help you hmm. right and that winds young people up so much you know in particular if they don't know what's wrong and it's incredibly difficult and actually very painful and upsetting for parents when their young person is upset and they can't fix it and they can't help it and they think you know they feel so powerless and it all goes pear-shaped but actually being in the not knowing just being willing to be upset for your child and neither of you know what's going on but with the willingness to explore and try and find out over time is incredibly powerful and containing for both the young person and and the the the, the parent who feels empowered because actually they see the difference the young person calms down they they feel more soothed they feel more understood you know there's a, a bonding process that goes on it's incredibly moving to see the the progress when that happens i think in amongst that there there's another practical strategy even that if a parent is approaching the situation thinking i need to fix this yes. tell me what it is and i'm going to fix it a very simple takeaway is 
they can approach things different ways as well as that um yeah well well you can't fix you know in a sense the fixing of it, it it's not really possible to fix mm. anything in a way it's it's all about processing and processing feelings and being able essentially to tolerate and bear the feelings because then transformation is possible yeah yeah um and just to finish off Deirdre we, we could talk for for hours and hours here but ju just to finish off this this bit about sitting with it and bearing with it and perseverance for parents I think that's been a bit of a theme subtly through what we've talked about here that that's really important so is that something we would just be wanting to emphasize about bearing with and 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 co weathering the storm to use your phrase from earlier do you want do you want to say a, a final thing about that maybe to finish yeah absolutely i mean a recent example very you know recent example um which was incredibly moving you know a father who wanted to fix it for his son who's very very depressed you know really very closed down very collapsed and you know very you know i need to liven him up i need him to get him to do things i need to get him out doing sport you know i have to get him to function and obviously out of anxiety and out of well-intentioned but what 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 happened was his son you know it, it kind of pushed his son away because his son was feeling you know well i'm i'm obviously a failure because i can't live up to you know, my, my dad wanting to help me, I, I can't do it. And and the, the son at one point, you know, collapsed into tears. And, you know, the father struggled with that before, you know, this is after many months struggled with that before. And actually, what he did was lay down on the floor and held his son's hand. And the son eventually, you know, was stopped crying and was able to, you know, put into words what it was that was upsetting him. Now, that is incredibly powerful. And, you know, the father got that eventually. Now, it took quite a bit of time, took quite a bit of convincing as, as it would. You know, how is that going to help? You know, it's going to make him worse. You know, this idea that if you go into the feelings, if you sit with the tears, if you sit with the sadness, you're going to make them worse. It has the opposite effect. And that's what I find time and time again. But parents are not convinced about that. It takes quite a bit of quite a bit of convincing and quite a bit of practical evidence, but it it does work in the end. Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you for all that wisdom uh, and those practical tips we managed to get in as well. <laughs> uh, that was very useful and very thought provoking. So thank you for for chatting with us today, and thank you to you as well, our listeners. And uh, embedded in the the text around the podcast, we've put a, a short survey. And um, we'd very much welcome your feedback. And if there's any topics you'd like to suggest for us for future episodes, we'd be delighted to hear that too. And we hope you find this podcast helpful.